Hello everybody and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today, not on hosting duties, is Mr Rich Fay. Rich, you're in a different chair, even though of course we're all in the same chairs because we're all still locked at home, but nice little role change for you. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Thank you very much. I should have changed my chair, shouldn't I? That's what I should have mm-hmm. done for this podcast to make myself relax. Can sit back, let you do the mm-hmm. talking. But yeah, it's a uh, again similar to last week. Like we got onto United one. I guess maybe that's all that matters. I mean, the mood maybe not convincing, but we'll get onto that in the pod ahead and, and see how it all goes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It's definitely a lot more positive than the last time I was on when I think United were in the... Actually, I don't even know if United played again last time I was on because it was in the midst of the uh, the COVID outbreak. But Samuel, you're with us as well today. And again, you were at Old Trafford and a very good win and a, a bit of a bit of positivity coming from Old Trafford for once. You know, United won, left it late, but almost kind of classic United in a way how they didn't play particularly well, but they kind of ground out that win in the end and the atmosphere seemed um, something pretty special. Yeah, the the genre of my match piece changed pretty drastically from <laughs> forgettable film to to a, a mini classic, if you like, just because of the ending. Uh, the, the only entertaining aspect of the game up until the the goal was probably Ronaldo's uh, pretty theatrical repertoire, whether it was advising Mason Greenwood to cross rather than shoot, uh, rebuking Harry Maguire, uh, questioning the referee. But it, it came to, you know, it all came to fruition in the end with the, the three substitutions combining for the goal, and, and Ronaldo's part in the goal as well was was key. It was it was interesting. We, we have the privilege of being sat by the the visiting team's analysts, and it was Billy McKinley and, and Stuart Pearce. So as you can imagine, you've got this old school Scott and Stuart Pearce. So you, you know that you're going to be if you're earwigging, you're going to hear quite a lot. And, and McKinley said quite it was deep into the second half maybe midway through he said Albert I think he said Ronaldo is killing us in that pocket and Ronaldo was loitering there for um the goal when when Ryan Fredericks misjudged that header and you you break down how they capitalize on just that one lapse and how clinical United are um it was was very impressive but it was it, it was the exception to the norm on Saturday because it was such a tight game and I think most people expected it to be uh quite quite uh, competitive given the, the way West Ham play, the way David Moyes plays, uh, his teams play at Old Trafford or Anfield or Stamford Bridge or, or Emirates, even going back to Highbury when he was managing games there with with Everton. He's not won at either of those in nearly 20 years of management in the Premier League. And I mean, his his comment after his his response to the first question, his Zoom call was was great. I mean, I can't repeat it, but you, you can you can source it out quite quite easily and it amounts to something like nine words uh but united went for it it was it was risk-taking football in the end i suppose if in in this era where united don't really seem to have an identity that risk-taking you know throwing the kitchen sink out of it that that is that is an identity that that is an approach that you find synonymous with them and it paid off marshall was pretty bright before um before he had that role in the goal you always know what you're going to get from Cavani. There's a reason why supporters chant his name so so loudly when, in games when he's not playing, even though it seems inevitable that he's going to leave at the end of the season. And it capped a brilliant week for Rashford after a disastrous week the previous week with, with that performance against Aston Villa. Two goals, uh, one very well taken goal at Brentford with a finish that you don't normally 
associating with and then his I think it was his fourth Fergie time winner in, in the Premier League um, after the, I think it was Hull, Bournemouth and, and Wolves I can remember the Wolves one probably because there weren't supporters there but probably Saturdays was rivaled the whole one in terms of uh, how memorable it was for him as far as the league's concerned and as I said in terms of genre changing how the mood changes as well if they'd drawn that nil-nil we'd have been uh, certainly for this 13-day gap we'd have been absolutely dreading it because it was going to be negative nobody would care and nil-nil draw at home but it's amazing what 93rd minute winner does and fortunately for United as well they've They've stayed in the top four at the end of the weekend because I, I wouldn't say Tottenham slipped up because I don't think anybody expected them to get anything at Chelsea, but Arsenal certainly did against Burnley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we would have had a, not a lot less of stuff to talk about had that goal not gone in. Um, but Rich, you know, for my, you know, it was the same old story. Mars gets no glory at Old Trafford. But rehearsing that one all day. And, um, you know, but it was a bit of a change of fortunes for Rashford, as Samuel mentioned there. He got the third and decisive goal against Brentford with a really emphatic finish. And then against um, against uh, West Ham, he comes up with the back post, the last minute winner. He's kind of in the right place at the right time sort of thing to finish off a really nice move, actually. And as we said there, it's his first two goals since October. I think he'd only scored. He hadn't, he hadn't scored since his fourth game back from injury. And when he came back from that shoulder surgery, he was in really good form. He'd come off the bench, I think, twice. Definitely against Leicester and scored. And then I think he scored against Atalanta, I want to say. And he was like, yeah. oh, he looked like he was, yeah, that's right. He was looking like he was like really back um, to his best after the surgery. He'd been, finally had a bit of a rest, but then just kind of fell off a cliff for it. But this two weeks, no, sorry, these last two games, he's kind of gotten the score mm. sheet twice. Looks like he's getting back to his best. And it's almost a shame that this winter break has now come at the, probably the worst time for him, just as he was going to get in some form under his belt again. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, I think a lot of it was him sort of snowballing with the, the confidence. And you saw that against Villa. He just wasn't chasing the ball into the box. He wasn't getting into the right areas. He just looked like his, his head was down, really. And I do think that Ranić deserves some credit for that because under Solskjaer particularly, there was just this, he was just being overplayed every single week. And there was just this willingness that if we play Rashford every game, keep it on for 90 minutes, then he will score and they'll be back to his best. And they were just persisting with this just really weird sort of attitude where they just didn't want to drop him because they didn't want to damage his his ego, maybe his, his confidence even further. But you need to take him out of the firing line for a bit and then bring him on into these games where he can be the match winner. And, you know, when someone's low on confidence like that, give them like 15, 20 minutes at the end. Because if they influence the game, then their stock rises again. They get the confidence back and they can be the game changer. And there's a lot less pressure on you if you're coming off the bench to do that. And I think it suited Rashford really well in, in these last two games. And, you know, again, that's going to be the question after this break, isn't it? It's whether Rashford should start or do you keep who's to, someone who's been a super sub as a substitute going forward. Um, you did feel, um, I, I sensed that, you know, Alanga would maybe burn out a little bit. You know, he's had such an intense period in the first team and, you know, he he's, he's lively, he's got the hard work rate, but there's going to come a time where he needs to to take a step back a bit as well. You know, the fairy tale won't continue forever. He's, like I said, got that burnout and Rashford will probably be the candidate to, to start again on the left wing, maybe even after this break. You know, he's off in Dubai now doing some individual training. I think he'll just want to work on his fitness, try to get himself back in the reckoning and get himself back up to, to match speed. But for me, the majority of the issue since that surgery for Rashford has just been confidence in him, just looking at a shell of him for herself, really just lacking that sort of just that cohesiveness with the rest of the attacking line, really. And I think the, the first formation they had under Ranić didn't suit him either. The four, 
two two two. Just the the wide men. It, it was like they changed formation just to get Jaden Sancho playing well. It just didn't suit whoever's whoever's on the left really. And I feel that in this in this new sort of four three three, I think it suits him as well. And I think we could see a lot more from Rashford in the in the last sort of part of the season. But yeah, can't get too carried away just yet. But I do mm-hmm. think that the substitute role has really uh, really helped him in getting the, getting back to goal scoring form at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting what you say there about the four-three-three. Like Samuel, it seems like Rennick, after about eleven games, I think it's taken ten games and eight weeks, seems like he's finally kind of settled, found something that's working with this four-three-three. He's kind of settled on a starting lineup. I think we can uh, assume that had uh, Lindelof not gone through the uh, traumatic experience his family went through during the Brentford game, that it would have been the same starting eleven for the West Ham game. It finally seems like he's settling on a starting eleven, but then, as you mentioned, Cavani, Marshall, and Rashford all come on and combine to make the difference to win it at the end. So when we come, and there's going to be changes for the FA Cup game, of course, because it's against the Championship side anyway. But when we're back into Premier League action, do you see the starting eleven staying as it is already, or do you think these changes that he made and had such an impact could potentially come in and start um, making changes to the side? That's mainly down to Rashford and how he responds when he does start next, which could well be that that Middlesbrough game. Langer's done commendably over the last week or so, but in each game he's had a difficult half. One of the things I I like about him uh, is is that he's a very resilient young player. Uh, You go back to Wolves last season when he scored his first goal. He'd, he'd, He'd missed a couple of chances before he uh, scored that header from I think it was a Daniel James cross and that ability to keep on going I think other young players 19 year old forward they, they might have been so crestfallen by squandering the chances that they wouldn't get uh, as if again but at Brentford he had a difficult half where he was non-anonymous but then he comes out the second half and scores a very well taken goal on Saturday he didn't really get much of the ball at all I, I wouldn't really pin how how underwhelmingly he played on on him. I think it was more an issue of United not using the ball well enough in the final third. Uh, there were some good individual moments in that first half on on Saturday, but they, as I said, they were individual moments. They were just isolated cases. They didn't create an awful lot at all. And at, at that age, it's very difficult f- for a player to maintain uh, consistency. And he's not really had a consistent performance from start to finish at Villa. Obviously, first half, very good. Second half, predictably, he's fatigued because it's his first truly competitive start for United. And he's the one who's who's taken off, may- maybe later than he should have been taken off. So there's, there's a lot, of course, for optimism for Rashford in terms of getting back into the team now, particularly having scored those two goals, which will have done him the world of good after what was an annus horribilis, really, in 2021. But the team is pretty settled in, in otherwise than that. Apart from that, I'd say, I mean, Maguire he is the captain. They did spend £80 million on him. I, I fully understood why Rangnick was sticking with Lindelof and sometimes, you know, football never ceases to amaze. It's, it's just one unfortunate and pretty terrifying instant as the one that happened to Lindelof's family last week and, and, and another player gets their chance to come back into the team. But the 4-3-3 is something that they should have used a lot earlier in the season. Certainly there was talk in the summer, I was told about Solskjaer considering change to 4-3-3 in the end, he didn't have the nerve to go with it. Um, I think it's taken too long to try McTominay in that deep role, and he did he did okay again on Saturday. He didn't really, you know, he didn't he couldn't establish himself as as much as he did at Brentford. And I think that was mainly because of the way West Ham played. So in 
given the scenario, I think Declan Rice was always going to thrive in in a match like Saturday's. But McTominay has to be the first choice in that role because he's got the engine, he's got the aggression. Uh, he's a player that you can play as a deep-line midfielder, I'd say, in probably every Premier League game, provided he stays fit. You can't really do that with Nemanja Matic. And so at least we're, what, eight weeks in under Rangnick, um, more or less, if if that's the way forward, then I think most people would agree with it. And I know he's changed a lot of form. He's changed formation a lot of times, which I don't think is 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 necessarily a bad thing. And again, there was that in-game management in the second half. They changed to a four-two-four formation, which is unheard of these days. That's the kind of formation you used to see in one of those nineteen fifties programs when they had the lineups already and position players played in positions that people haven't heard of anymore. Um, but you need to be you need to be flexible, and I think with four three three it offers that with in possession and out of possession, and they've got a decent a decent first eleven and in inverted commas to to maximise that for the time being. But they're, they're, I don't think they're going to have like with this team whether it's Rashford or Elanga on the left. I can't see that you know running the course until the end of the season necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, while the attack wasn't. All there on Saturday, um, you know, kind of stunted going forward. Same old kind of problems there. The defence seemed to, you know, two games in a row. They conceded against Brentford, but it was a late on. It was a scrappy corner. Clean sheet against West Ham have been really good um, recently. The defence does, even though they might be conceding quite a few shots and De Gea is getting called upon a lot, it does seem that the defence is getting better, Rich. And a big part of that has been kind of Diogo Dallo on the right. He's really kind of proven that Solskjaer should have given him a proper chance much earlier. Well, he never did, really. Um Dallow's playing well. Kind of Varane seems like he's been finding his feet now. I say Maguire came in. How are you finding? Kind of looking at this defense, Rich, and is it is this the settled back line now? Um, obviously, Shaw maybe for Telles. I don't think Telles had the best game, especially going forward. But it does seem like Dallow is kind of you know we're saying Maguire cost eighty million, Wan-Bissaka cost fifty million, uh, and he seems to be on the outs at the minute. Yeah, exactly. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because it can so quickly change. And remember that Villarreal game where Dallow got rinsed by Dan Juma for the, the whole night, really. United somehow probably still got a result. And his stock was pretty low after that one. You know, there's always been concerns about Dallow's sort of defensive awareness and his positioning. But he does offer something that United need going forward. And it's just that more modern approach and that the fullbacks can really supplement the attack and, and help with United's own wingers who are often inverted so when you've got someone like Mason Greenwood on the right who's cutting in on his left you need someone on, on the outside to to help him to get those balls in from out wide as well which Wan-Bissaka just just hasn't done so you know I think that maybe the hope is that Dallow's resurgence can can in turn sort of rejuvenate Wan-Bissaka in the way that Tellez's arrival brought the best out of Shaw I, I don't think it will happen but you've got to maybe cross your fingers and, and hope that it can have that sort of impact because the onus is very much now on Wan-Bissaka to prove that he deserves to be starting and you know under Solskjaer he it's ironic you wouldn't say he was the first name on the team sheet but you almost would because you'd expect him to start every single game and he was undroppable he just monopolized the right back role and didn't really have any serious competition it was just the odd cup game you know, Dallow would come in and no matter how well he played, he'd usually get dropped again for Wan-Bissaka. And I think that a, a big part of it for United has just been reminding some of these players, like Maguire actually, who, you know, he was dropped by Ranić. You can't sort of sugarcoat it any other way. Every player needs to be warned that you are not guaranteed to start because 
they can't they can't afford any complacency. I think that's been so much of United's problems over the last year, really, is the fact that there was always that core of players under Solskjaer you knew were starting every game. Bruno Fernandes, Juan Bissaka, Maguire, Rashford, any day of the week, those those four start in every game, basically. And I think all of them suffered from a drop-off in form as a result of that. So I think there's more of an argument at centre-back because, of course, the reason Lindelof didn't play was completely out of his control, really, wasn't it? And he he doesn't deserve to be dropped on, on form because he's been playing quite well. I've been impressed with him and him and Varane as a partnership, really, although Lindelof is a bit haphazard when he pushes too far up and then exposes the centre-back who he leaves by himself. So I do think that there is... United need to make Varane and Maguire work just because they don't have money they spent on them. Maguire's the club captain. He's still got the backing of Ranić, And, you know, maybe in the summer, a new manager might want to look at that again. And maybe that will be a, a chance to have that clean cut and he can do what he wants. Of course, United will probably be in the market for another centre-back in the summer as well, given that Bayer could leave, Phil Jones, you'd expect to leave as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that... For me, Dallow should start more often at right back, short left back. Varane has just made a huge difference at centre back, and then I still think that there's again there's a real good sort of battle there between Lindelof and Maguire to to be starting, and I don't think either of them is sort of unanimous at the moment, which which can only be good for United really because they need to have that competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was saying there, Samuel, is Varane kind of finally finding his feet? He obviously had a bit of a slow start. He didn't obviously come in till a few games already gone in the season. Um, injuries, um, you know, a couple of injuries that have kept him out. Um, but now it looks like he's kind of, you know, he's been in Spain for 10 years. It's obviously, we, you know, the Premier League, as we all know, is a bit more physical and uh, played at a faster pace. It takes time for players to adapt, especially in kind of defensive positions. Is he kind of getting acclimatised to it now and really showing the quality that United, you know, we all knew he had. It's just maybe taking a little time to get used to it, especially, you know, in Solskjaer's team, which didn't exactly um, put much focus on defending. I think he's been class in, in recent weeks and it, unfortunately for United and him, he's had a couple of significant layoffs. He's probably missed two two months of the season overall. I think he was out for three weeks or two weeks with the first one and it was six or seven weeks with, um, with, the, with the hamstring injury he did at, at Atalanta. And of course, when he came back uh, for that Newcastle game, he had a pretty torrid time of it and was, was very rusty you, you kind of like just dismissed that because it was his first game in, in however long it was and rather rather sensibly Ranjit took him out of the team for the next game against Burnley and then of course he, he came back in um, I'm struggling to remember if he plays in that Wolves game or not now it's, it's the, the game sometimes merging into one but in terms of his performances in January from the Villa Cup game onwards I think he's just been really good, uh, even at Villa Park for the, the when they, they capitulated for that two-two draw. I, I don't think he was necessarily um, the one who was getting the blame pinned on him at all. Uh, his reading of the game is excellent. Antonio is obviously a striker who makes it pretty difficult for a lot of defenders. But on Saturday, he, he was made to look what he is by Varane, which is a, a mid-table, mid to low half the table battering ram. And he didn't get any joy whatsoever. And talking about the analysts, as was earlier, that they were they were insistent that he should be substituted Antonio in the second half. And West Ham didn't make that change. And at the end, maybe that fatigue um, had 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 a key impact. And I think they only made one substitution. That was Fredericks coming on at right back. But I think with Varane, the only regret United must have is that he he didn't join them ten years earlier. And of course, if he joined them ten years earlier, then he wouldn't have 
I, I very much doubt he'd have stayed there for 10 years. There'd have been uh, a club that would have come in for him at some point or another. So they, they've got him eventually. They've got to maximise him as much as they can. Uh, still 28. I, I think in this day and age, centre-backs can go on until they're near enough their mid-30s. So they could get six years very good service out of him which probably would have been around about the amount of service they'd have got had they been successful when they tried to get him in, in 2011. But it does make such a difference. As I was saying last week, he didn't start in the uh, Leicester away game, the Watford away game, the Liverpool home game. Those games, I mean, United shipped, what was it? Four at Leicester, four at Watford, five against Liverpool in those games. If he was present, I don't think they'd have been battered as, as badly as they were. And they do seem to keep more clean sheets. And they certainly on Saturday, and Rangnick said it afterwards, it was probably their best defensive performance under him. The mitigation of that is that you are coming up against the David Moyes side and for all Moyes' merits, and he has done a superb job this season, he has a ceiling as a manager. Uh, you knew that. I knew it anyway before he came to United and soon United fans discovered that pretty quickly. But Varane is a player that they've obviously wanted for a long, long time. He's finally come in. They've had to be a bit patient because of injuries, but he's been well worth the wait. Yeah, definitely. And I think, Rich, the final kind of uh, moment of note from the game, you know, was the impact of Marshall. He came off the bench. It's been it's been quite the week for him. Um, Ranjit claimed he didn't want to play against Aston Villa. Um, he quickly denied that. They had kind of crisis talks to kind of sort out their relationship. He was back in the squad against Brentford, but didn't come on. He comes on against uh, West Ham and plays a crucial role in the goal. You know, we'll talk more about the kind of state of the transfer window in the last seven days momentarily. But uh, does he stay and does he have an impact going forward like that? Because you know, uh, Ranjit's been full of praise for him for his performance against West Ham, and it it's a good reaction from him from for a def very difficult week to kind of come back and put in such a uh, you know make such an impact when he did come on. Yeah, it was good to see that sort of commitment from him on the pitch, at least, wasn't it? Um, like I said, just because he played well for me, that doesn't mean change anything. I mean, Daniel James was playing for United and then leaving a couple of days later, wasn't he? And I don't think the one performance should change it. Marshall FC is not back. Um, sorry to, to break that to you. But, you know, that, that's what he needs to do himself. He needs to prove that he's worth someone taking a gamble on him, doesn't he, really? Because there's been so many questions about maybe his attitude and his work rate anyway. And, you know, I think that sometimes he maybe does get an unfair stick because there are probably other players in the team who play just as badly as him, but sometimes he can, can be an easy target. He's always been a bit of a polarising figure in the United sort of fan base anyway. But, yeah, for me, I don't think that it changes anything too much. Like you said, the reason was for the Villa debacle was breakdown communication or whatever anyway. And, you know, maybe if Marshall had, had played that game and Alanga's breakthrough doesn't come... Through, you know, it doesn't happen anyway. Maybe it's a bit of a sliding doors moment there. But for me, it was good to see see that level commitment from Marshall. He made a, made a proper impact on the game, and you know that's all fans want, really, isn't it? At the end of the day, mm -hmm. they don't, you know, they just want to see someone who's who's trying and and doing their best for the shirt. And you can't can't say he didn't do that at the weekend. But for me, that should almost be that should be it. He should leave on this this small high, mm -hmm. go with the best wishes of United, have that sort of amicable divorce from him this this window. Okay, it might not be permanent. He might come back in the summer if they can only get the, the loan exit. Um, but for me, he, yeah, it didn't change anything. I got mm -hmm. it short and sweet like that. Definitely. Well, yeah. well, the, well, well, we'll come, we'll come back to more on the kind of potential loan departures momentarily. But Samuel, the win, um, three points were even more important because they obviously came against West Ham, who 
obviously a top four rival. Um, it's cut, well, it's literally getting United above them now. It's hard to kind of analyse the table because of all the different games in hand. But United now sitting fourth, going into the winter break. They played a game less than West Ham, but a game more than Arsenal and two game more, two game more than Tottenham. But it's definitely a better to be in the top four and looking pretty than kind of not being and hoping you win your games in hand. So how do you think this kind of season finishes uh, plays out now? You know, Tottenham looked like they were going places. They had a mad late victory over Leicester in midweek, but then put in a pretty um, a display. You'd have thought better of a Conte team against Chelsea. Um, maybe there's you know there's rivalry implications there as well, and they were unfortunate, I think, to have Kane's goal disallowed. Arsenal, you thought turned a corner, but then. Um, a team they actually usually beat, even though everyone thinks Burnley are their bogey side, they actually usually beat Burnley pretty handily, but this time around, they can only draw 0-0 with them. It does seem like anyone's game, and you know, all of a sudden, United looked like they weren't particularly favourites for the top four, but no, it looks like the door's open for them, and if you know, if they win the, most of their games now and defeat their, their rivals, it is, theirs, it is theirs to lose now a bit more. United have the best squad of the four contenders. Rangnick suggested Wolves might be a fifth. Uh, I, I think that's maybe pushing it a little bit, even though Wolves have, have played very well recently and had some good results. But United have the have a deep enough squad to withstand issues, injuries, um, potential suspensions. Arsenal's discipline is a problem. Um, I suppose they could always try and request a postponement so they don't have to play a game. I mean, they, they maybe wish that they postponed the Burnley game as well because they didn't win that. But I mean, Arsenal's best performance this season pretty much amounted to a half against City and it was an excellent first half. And you thought if they could see this out, then you'd have to take them very, very seriously. But it went pear-shaped in the second half and it went pear-shaped in a pretty Arsenal way as well with Xhaka just doing what he does. And... Um, Gabriel losing his, his, his discipline and then the late goal goes in. Uh, with, with Tottenham, what's going on there is not a surprise whatsoever. I mean, that's why United didn't appoint Antonio Conte. They were pretty much petrified of him because he'd have, he'd have, he'd effectively told everyone why they were bad at their job and why he, he knew best. And, and he's probably right. And he's probably right at Tottenham as well. It's, it's quite a similar dynamic in that you have got uh, a figurehead at the top of the hierarchy who is holding the club back in, in Daniel Levy. And of course, that's been an issue with United and, and Ed Woodward for the last eight and a half years, uh, even though they've spent an absolute fortune, that, that it's not been spent in a particularly uh, competent way. And Spurs' squad, it's it's got some you know it's got some merit, but not not enough really. Bergwijn was a player that people thought was going to leave this month. Last week he was the saviour. So that's how quickly things can change in football. I still expect West Ham to fall away. I think West Ham have got a really good first eleven. Um, that that's why they've done as well as they have this season. Moyes settled on his strongest team quite early on in the season. And they should quite easily finish in the top seven. I suspect they'll fall away when it comes to the top four. And for the other teams, that their their saving grace is that the other teams just can't get on a consistent run. United finally at the weekend broke the pattern of winning every other game under Rangnick. They they desperately needed to win that West Ham game for all sorts of reasons. And the weekend could hardly have gone gone perfectly, uh, gone any more perfectly because Tottenham lost and then. Arsenal drop points against Burnley, but United have got to be, you know, consistency is the key. It's, it's a bit like in, in the Championship or, or League One or League Two. In those leagues, you you see how 
much of a difference it makes if a team just goes on a run of winning three or four matches. All of a sudden, they're they're riding high and they should at least be in the playoffs or they're looking at trying to get promoted automatically. With United, I don't think they'll ever be in a position where they'll be able to cut loose of, of Tottenham and Arsenal, but they have the deepest squad. And that's even if there are players that leave over the next week. Um, I think the squad size at the moment is, is 29 players. So although some of the players, as, as we discussed earlier, with, with Marshall coming on doing well at the weekend, it's not like it's going to be pivotal if he's allowed to go to, to Sevilla on loan. I mean, his appearance against West Ham was his first in, in well over a month. So they've they've got the deep squad, they've got the quality. It's just whether they can get that consistency. And they are in the ascendant at the moment, having settled on the formation. And there are certain personnel that Rangnick trusts as well. Whereas you can't really say that about Tottenham. And with Arsenal, it's Arsenal really. I think they're always liable to slip up and give you a chance. Yeah, lads, it's Arsenal, basically. And lads, it's Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rich, do you think United uh, kind of... Have- it's there for the taking now as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like Samuel said, this West Ham team, yeah. the, the one they had in the Slavin Bilic when they had Paye and stuff. I mean, then they got into Europe next season and fell off a cliff and they just dwindled again. I mentioned it on the pod last week. They also remind me of that Southampton team who were fourth at Christmas or whatever. And there's all these articles saying, will Southampton get in the Champions League? How Southampton can line up next season when they qualify for the Champions League? They finish about sixth or seventh. You know, it happens so often. And it's always because there's one of the at least one of the top, the traditional top four, you want to call it top five, whatever nowadays, who, who falter. And there's been a few of them this season that have just been so inconsistent. So there's always that, that right to dream, isn't there? And United can't be too cocky. They can't be too complacent because there is a reason why United are already trying to twist the season when they finish fourth as maybe a positive where they've come back from, you know, where, wherever they were in the table anyway. But basically, they just want that big pot of gold for Champions League qualification, don't they? That's all, all that really matters. And... Yeah, I think United have it in their own hands. Like Samuel said, they've got such a big squad. They, I mean, it's not even the fact they've got such a big squad. Sometimes you need to take a step back and boil it down. And that team is so good. Like United bought Sancho, Varane and Ronaldo. And we're saying, oh, can they finish in the top four? It's still ridiculous that, that that's even being considered as something that might not happen. Like it's such an underachievement, such a failure of a season already that we even have to... to, to discuss that so yeah United should be winning should be getting the top four quite comfortably I still think because yes they've been bad this season but the the team is just so stacked with talent and unlike Arsenal and Tottenham it's not just maybe one or two players there are so many other options so yeah United have to get at least fourth this season Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think finishing in top four, Samuel, is so crucial to how next season goes. Because, you know, as we'll move on to now, the seven days left of the January transfer window, it looks like it's going to be pretty quiet in terms of incomings. Um, and then departures are all still up in the air. It'd be, it seems like it'd be quite um, an achievement if United managed to shift any of the players um, they want to kind of get rid of. Uh, you know, or, no, maybe they could if they lowered their demands, but they apparently don't want to be doing so. So, it seems like finishing the top four is going to be so crucial to who they recruit next summer as you know the last seven days of this transfer window are going to pass by without much incident, it would appear. Yeah, that's uh, impeccably timed as well because the window cleaner's just outside. So if, if you start if you start hearing a, a scraping sound on the windows here, that, that's what it is. Um but I, I can't I can't think of a clever enough pun really, like whether he's cleaning United's eyesight so they can see the window of opportunity. I, I think I'll end it there. But the, the the word from United is is that they're they're not really looking prepared to 
compromise on this insistence of um, a buying club paying the, the salary in full. And now there are four players who realistically could leave on loan. Um, Van der Beek, Henderson, Marshall, Lingard. I don't think Van der Beek will go. I think that's just been an element of desperation for his from his agent to maybe alert clubs, you know, to, as, as the cliche goes, ahead of the summer, because I think he's played something like was it just over 20 minutes this month. And normally January, there are cup games and there's an element of rotation, but he just, it, it's not going to happen for him. I mean, if it does happen for him, then the stars would have to align in a pretty extraordinary way. But I just don't see him leaving. That They've not got a great amount of midfield players there at all. Um, I know Pogba's probably going to come back for possibly the Middlesbrough game. And again, that will be pretty galling for Van der Beek if Pogba starts ahead of him in that one. But I just don't see that really as as a goer. But the issue United have got is that Van, Van der Beek's probably on around 120 grand a week. Lingard, 100 grand. Henderson, 110 grand. Marshall, 200 grand. That really does narrow down the options in terms of clubs that are prepared to not just loan the player, not just... Um, pay their their salary in full, which is obviously quite a quite a large salary for the the profile of clubs you'd expect to be interested in them, but also pay a loan fee on top of that. Um, Ajax, of course, uh, you know, would be interested in taking Henderson on loan, but would they be prepared to pay one hundred ten thousand pounds a week for that privilege and paying a loan fee on on top of it um, for, for a goalkeeper who's yeah, I mean, when was the last time playing the Premier League? It would have been May last year. So it's pretty tricky. And, you know, United are of the opinion that they, they they don't see the sense in paying part of a player's salary if they're going to be playing at a high level when they're not getting anything out of it, which, OK, you know, fair point. But they, played the, they put themselves in that position by giving these players contracts. Uh, some of them ill-advised contracts. With Lingard, he got a contract what was it, nearly five years ago. Um, yes, that's irrelevant. That's just he's just become not, not a victim of such. But that that scenario has just been allowed to meander. And Solskjaer was indecisive last summer when they should have sold him, and they've they've missed the boat there. So now they're holding out for a loan fee. And it's not a coincidence that Newcastle are genuinely interested in Lingard and they've been mentioned in regards to Martial and Van der Beek because th- th- since the takeover, they, they can afford these these signings, um, especially on loan deals as well. I think at the start of the month when they approached Lingard, he was looking to almost double his salary um, and with quite a frugal re- relegation clause inserted into the contract, which Newcastle didn't like the sound of. They've come back with a loan option um, I think the money is still still not quite at the level that Lingard's camp would want it to be. I think they they see an opportunity to get paid quite well from this deal if it was if it was to go through. So I think as it stands, I think Lingard and Martial are probably the probably the likeliest to go. And as you said, if United somehow don't let any of these players go, then it's it's almost as if open season is declared on them again because traditionally in the sellers market they have been pretty dreadful and that dates back to to Ferguson's years. It's not just a thing that's happened and on, on Ed Woodward's watch whatsoever when they sold David Beckham to Real Madrid in two thousand three. I think the Real Madrid negotiator um, called Florentino Perez, who was, who was the president back then, and said, oh, they, they, they will accept 25 million. 
and Perez said, ask them for 20, ask, ask them if they take 20. Uh, they, they couldn't believe their luck uh, at how much United had undervalued Beckham at that time. Uh, I think he was 28, most recognisable sports person in the world. I thought at the time even, and I was just, I think I was only 15 at the time, I was thinking, Christ, that, you know, that the, they could have got about £14 million pounds for him at that point, and, and they didn't. So um, it's, it's a historic thing, and that's why when, when Daniel James goes for £25 million to Leeds, because they were so clearly obsessed with him, um, Edward would felt caused to brag about it on the last, last conference call. But I suspect when... It's the conference. I think there's another conference call in February. Uh, I don't think they'll have much to brag about in terms of outgoings. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like it. Um, Rich, do you think kind of the method of not signing anyone in January and waiting until the summer when they can potentially, you know, be in a stronger negotiating position? Or, you know, they might not be because everyone's going to know they're going to be a much more desperate for a midfielder. I mean, I think every club on planet Earth knows United want a midfielder and gonna, the need's going to be even um, stronger when Pogba inevitably goes. So, are they doing the right thing and not diving in here now? Um, how, you know, how do you see January, the rest of the January playing out? Yeah, exactly as you expect, really. I mean, as a fan, and you know, I've put Rex and myself, and we've not signed in this January. But as a fan, you'd go into it thinking this five players for Bolton, five. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly, but you go into it as a fan, don't you? Thinking like, oh, giant transfer window, and we're gonna get this player, that player, that player, and the cha- everything's gonna change. But so rarely happens, and you know, United, you know, historically, I know they've had some major January signings, you know, everyone says Vidic, Fernandez, you know, they are the sort of benchmarks ever as well that, you know, they sort of, they exactly. changed. Exactly. But on the, on the <laughs> other hand, there's other players. It doesn't always work out like that. And th- there's very few January transfers, win, January transfers I sort of experience that do actually sort of pay off and make the difference. And in terms of United pursuing a midfielder, you know, they've always, they've always been pretty open on that. Raniak said himself how difficult it is to buy in the winter market, getting a player who's, who's available for the right play right price and you know you don't want to get ripped off teams are always reluctant to sell even more so during a pandemic with squad depth is that sort of pushed to the limit anyway and you know it was always very unlikely you know i was going to buy anyone this window anyway particularly because managers got to be changed at the end of the season and someone who comes in now would have to be future-proofed for for that manager and maybe for one or two formations because if you buy someone and you know two weeks ago you're not playing a 4-2-2-2 so if you buy someone to fit that and then you're going back to a 4-3-3 it might not might not have that longevity to it yeah, to it either. Exactly. So, yeah, there's just so much mitigation. Like you said, United would always be in the market if the right player, someone they've all, they've already been looking at, comes available for a price that they feel is is reasonable and not getting ripped off. But that just hasn't really happened. The issue is that United have neglected their midfield so long. You know, Solskjaer wanted a midfielder last summer. If they could have got one, it wasn't the top priority, but it was still something he wanted addressing. United have, have already needed a midfielder. They now need another one. You could have Van der Beek gone, could have Pogba gone. You could almost argue that they need three, but I think two is probably what they do need. And maybe you could have bought someone this month who isn't going to be your, your top midfielder come the summer, but is someone to add to the squad and at least alleviate the pressure on, on like we said, Fred and McTominay. Of course, Pogba's coming back, so that should be that should ease it a little bit. But yeah, it, not surprising that I aren't buying anyone, but... You can understand why fans are a bit frustrated on that, but you know all eyes are, at the, are on the summer. They always have been. They, they kind of were heading into the month. They will be as soon as the transfer window closes. That's just an excuse for United to really ramp up their preparations for the summer anyway. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm with you. I thought they could have maybe gone for, I think, the likes of... There's a few midfielders who 
have looked good and they're out of contact in the summer, I think, so they maybe could have got on the cheap if a club was that way inclined. But And then go all out for Rice or whoever you want in the yeah. summer. When, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. But, dear listener, if any development does happen um, between now and January 31st, well, you'll know where to hear about it first. It'll be on uh, Manchester Evening News 4 slash Man United. And, of course, I imagine we'll be back here uh, next week to analyse everything that doesn't happen on deadline day and uh, break up the <laughs> monotony of this uh, uh, dreadfully placed winter break. Um, but thank you very much for listening. You, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Man United MEN and get us on Facebook at... Um, Manchester Evening News, Manchester United. That's the page. Go on there, go on, like it, go on, read all the articles, like, listen, share, subscribe. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Ta-ra. <laughs>